Greetings, Trinity family. It's a joy to be able to open up God's Word again together. We're in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. We're not quite ready to get into Exodus 3. We have a very important passage to consider together today. So let's read, hear, understand God's Word from Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Let's take a moment to pray. God, as we come to your word, we pray for your grace, your presence to be at work in the preaching, the receiving of this, your word, to your glory and to our good. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Before there was a nation, before there was a law, before there was an exodus, before There was Moses before there was this terrible human plight, before there was this family with a promise, before there was a flood, before there was a fall, before there was a garden, a gazelle, or a giant star, there was grace. And as all those things came into existence and shape and being and history, grace was always first. The reason grace is first is because God, God is the God of all grace. The story of Exodus is the continuation of the story of grace, of God's promise of grace, His covenant of grace. Now, as we move into the this story of Exodus, we are, we are seeing it in the context of this incredible grace. And it displays to us in profound ways our need of grace, and it displays to us in profound ways the nature of grace. And that's what we're going to consider here at the end of chapter 2, a very profoundly significant statement and moment is, is fleshed out here in these three verses. Get these three verses, and you will get the Exodus. You will understand what is going on and why. Not just the Exodus, but then the Old Testament. And not just the Old Testament, but the whole Bible. It's one overriding story. And not just that, but God's purposes in all of history. This is remarkable grace. It's on display here in these three verses. Our need of grace and the nature 
of this grace we need so desperately. So let's consider that together as we work through these few verses. First, we see on display the need for grace. What we find here is God's people in Egypt. They are under the condition of slavery. That that slavery spans over four plus centuries in very intensifying fashion. And the people of God do two things in our passage. They are groaning and they are crying out. They are groaning and crying out. And I want us to consider them here together. Groaning. That is the the response of, of being crushed under the weight of oppression. It's the sound one makes under the burden of something they cannot remove. A few weeks ago, I referred to how my yard is a, a harvesting place of rocks. And as we move these rocks out of where they are into the back end of the yard, some of them are quite large and heavy, and it takes all of us to do it. We groan under the weight of these rocks as we try to move them, barely moving them. The people of God were groaning under the weight of this oppression. And then they were crying out. Literally, they were shrieking. Shrieking. It's the response one makes under the increasing amount of physical pain being received. It's the sound of that prolonged experience of something that is hurtful. They're crying out loudly. And together, these groanings and these crying out for help rise up in the form of a prayer. They cry out for help and prayer, pleading with God to act. Now, this is a real, these were real physical groanings and real physical crying out, and they were, they were also spiritual groanings and spiritual crying out. And as a result, in understanding just even how the Bible sees the Exodus as a whole, we can see these are windows, windows into our need of grace. They're groaning and they're crying out. While we may not relate to the physical dynamic of it, we certainly can relate to the spiritual groaning and crying out under a burden we cannot carry. Sin burdens us with a weight we can never remove on our own. It can crush us with guilt and shame and regret where we're sunk down in the slog of despair. Sin can twist us and and sharpen us and harden us so that we are like a briar patch of razor blades personified. Sin can delude us into thinking the elixir of the world is a sweet nectar, never realizing we are slowly drinking a poison to our souls. And sin ultimately separates us from God, 
makes him an enemy and causes us to blame God for everything. Sin is a burden that crushes us. And my heart aches just thinking about that. I know those nights of groaning and crying out, those dark nights of the soul when, when my sin feels so overwhelming. Where I, don't, I feel powerless, weak to remove it. It is a window into our need of grace, friends. We need something greater than the burden we are under to come down to us and rescue us from it. Who can, can lift such a weight? Who can carry such a burden? Who can wash away such a stain? The God of all grace. He can. And He does. And that leads us then to see the nature of this grace. We are in great need of grace. Without grace, we have no hope. There's no possible way we can leverage enough strength to remove a burden we could never budge. But with grace, with the God of all grace, there is hope. So take into account the nature of grace on display in these few verses that help us understand Exodus, shape the, the perspective of the story of Exodus as we get into the meat of it. Let's not lose sight of what we see here. We see first God's response. Note the four actions on the part of God. So there were two actions on the people of God there, groaning and crying out. And now note the four actions on God's part. He heard, he remembered, he saw, and he knew. Two couplets, both following a very similar pattern. It is a pattern of compassion moved into action. God heard, then moved into the action of remembering. More on that in a moment. We're going to zero in on that expression. But then God saw and moved into the action of knowing. You can think of these as like an animated picture in your mind. Rising up out of a sun-baked, dust-draped plight, a, 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 an ash heap, are the groaning and the crying out of the people of God. And then they waft up into heaven, into the highest place of heaven. We see a God who hears and sees the plight of his people. And then, most remarkably, God, who heard and saw, moves down into the very dust and sun-baked context, remembering and knowing that movement Rising up and God coming down is a, a wonderful picture of grace. And the nature of grace is that God enters into the brokenness and the oppression to bring about rescue and restoration. He does this because that's 
who he is. Friends, there is nothing in this passage, in this Bible, that is obligating God to move into action. There's nothing outside of God obligating him to move into action. He's not begrudgingly saving his people again. God is not like a frustrated Mr. Incredible who, who's whining with this exasperation. I just cleaned up this mess. Can't we keep this place clean for 10 minutes? No. The words heard and remember, saw and know, those words are actually deeply personal, affecting, intimate words. God's personally, yes, God is a spirit, but personally invested and engaged and acting here. You're seeing not some obligated, exhausted, frustrated, disinterested God having to do something for a wayward people who got themselves in a mess again. You're seeing the very heart of God here. And at the center is this very important, significant statement. He remembered his covenant. So God's response is one of, of, of hearing and seeing and then of moving into action, of remembering and knowing. He enters into the fray to rescue his people. And he does so because he's remembering his covenant. God's remembering. So I started this sermon with promise before everything else. Grace before everything else, before there was a rescue, before there was a law, before there was land, there was a promise. You think back to where we began our series in Exodus, we tried to set it in the context of on the heels of Genesis. And in Genesis 3.15, we saw a very key and significant thread that weaves itself through the entire Bible, leading up to the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's a thread we need to hold on to as we navigate through this story of the Exodus. God made a promise that one day the serpent would be crushed, and that, but until that day there would be a great conflict. And that great conflict is the context of our story in Exodus. But God has not forgotten that promise. He hasn't failed to uphold that promise. So, he is remembering it. He's remembering this covenant. Covenant, which is a, a, a like super important, intense promise. Explain it more here in a second. A covenant with Abraham, and then we see Isaac and Jacob, which is Abraham's son and grandson. They're always mentioned from here on out as they receive the same promise reiterated to them that Abraham received. But he received a covenant with God. So what is first a covenant? Why is this so important? This is a hugely important word and phrase that we find throughout the whole Old Testament leading into the New. Well, a covenant is, like I said, a super intense, important promise. 
it's the best way that I can kind of put it into words right now for our context. But in their day, it was actually legal and formal, and it was a treaty made between a king and his subjects. And that treaty came with these sets of expectations. And if anyone failed to hold up their end of that treaty or that promise or that covenant, then there would, there would be curses that would come to them. There would be horrible consequences. But anyone who held on to that and saw it all the way through and kept their end of the covenant, there would be blessings as good consequences. So it was this treaty made from an authority figure to his subjects, and it, and it came with this set of expectations, and there were blessings and cursings. If you kept the expectations, met them, or if you failed, then it was curses. It was significant, and it was legal, a legal promise that then was also backed with a very important symbolic ceremony. Closest thing that we would have to that would be a marriage or a wedding. So the marriage is the significant promise that's being made, and the wedding is that hugely important ceremony to, to back that promise. So here we have a covenant, that sort of weighty thing being made with Abraham. Now we need to take into account what that covenant is. It's important because it's a key for our understanding why God moves in the way that he does through Exodus, through the Old Testament, through the whole Bible. So what is this covenant made with God? There are three important passages that we will quickly hit that I want to encourage you to look at, and that's Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and Genesis 17. So some of the words will be on the screen for you. I encourage you to look at them in fuller depth on your own, but I want you to just get a sense of what this covenant is that God made with Abraham as it plays a significant role in what's happening here in Exodus. First is Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here we see God calling Abram, and then later Abraham, out from where he was living to a new place because God has a very special purpose and promise with Abraham. Next passage, Genesis 15. Through the whole chapter, but I want to zero in on verses 17 and 18 where we see the ceremony of the covenant being played out. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed through these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land. So that ceremony brings this covenant promise into effect. And then in Genesis 17, it's reiterated an even fuller, fuller explanation of what's going on here. The heart of that, verses in Genesis 17, we have these words. And I will be God to you and to your offspring. 
after you. In short, God made a promise with Abraham to establish this incredibly special relationship and make him into a great nation that would be a great blessing to all the earth. And so as we go into Exodus and as we are entering into Egypt, that promise is on the line. It's hanging in the balance. Will God uphold this? Will he hold it together? Because it's, it's threadbare, at least from a human perspective. And now he goes about remembering. Now, I want to say something here. God doesn't forget. So in this act of remembering, it's something different than what you and I would think when we think of remembering. Because we can be very forgetful, right? It's, it's not like God forgot and he came rushing back, like how we sometimes forget. We have pasta boiling on the stove Maybe we're setting the dishes on the table, or maybe we're helping our kids in the other room, and we forgot about the pasta that's boiling, and all of a sudden, all the sounds of the groaning and the, and the crying out of the pasta come spilling out all over your stovetop, and you go rushing back because you forgot. That's not God. We're not pasta. He hasn't forgotten. No. Remembering is simply God moving into action to apply what he has promised. That in his sovereign purposes, that was the time to act in a very intense and and intimately close way so as to keep seeing that promise being fulfilled. So God is acting and applying what he has promised in this specific time that's left to his sovereign will and purposes. In short, it's his grace on the move. His grace on the move. But there's more. There's more. This promise is a covenant of grace. Of grace. It's one of grace. It's, It's God doing and us receiving. This is remarkable. And, and that passage in Genesis 15 speaks to it. Speaks to this matchless, marvelous grace. I want to go back to that strange ceremony that we saw. Consider it again. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. This is the significant ceremony of the covenant. What has happened here is that animal sacrifice was made, and it was cut up into pieces. And they were laid out, one representing where God is and one representing Abraham. And you were to pass through or in between those cut up pieces as you are committing to this promise. And you're saying, be to me like these pieces if I fail. Oh, both of us. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> it's the pollen. We'll go ahead and blame the pollen, right? <clears throat> be to me, be unto me as these pieces. Cut me up if I fail. 
And so both participants would go through those pieces representing their commitment. But in Genesis 15, Abram, he's in a deep sleep. He's only seeing this through, you know, God sovereignly allowing him to see it through this vision. He's not moving. He's not acting. He's sleeping. God is moving. The smoldering pot and that torch move through those pieces. They represent the presence of God. We'll find the, that, that smoldering cloud and that fire in Exodus here later, representing the presence of God once again. But it's God moving through moving through the pieces, making the commitment for both. God making the commitment of the covenant for both him, his place, and for Abram and his place. God is going to see this through, all the way through. He will fulfill both sides. So, I wanted to stop. I wanted to slow down. And consider these verses because it helps us understand why God does what he does, why he rescues. It helps us understand the story of the Exodus. It helps us understand the story of the Bible. I wanted us to drink them up and let them marinate our hearts that God is on the move. His grace is on the move. And we are helpless. We are in a deep sleep, but yet God moves graciously to rescue us. To restore us. Don't forget, before there was a rescue, there was a promise. And this promise is one of matchless, marvelous grace. And this grace is remembered. It is moved into action and applied by our God through the Exodus, through the pages of the Old Testament through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, through the cross, through the empty tomb, through all of history, to this very moment right now, to your very life, grace is on the move. God hasn't failed. He hasn't forgotten you. His grace reaches to you right now because God never changes And God is the God of all grace. There's nowhere else for us to cry out to, to cry out for help than to the God who remembers his promise of grace. There is no sin that can outlast God's grace. There is no sin that can be deeper than God's reach. There is nothing you can do to cause God to toss aside his promise of grace. There is nowhere else to turn than to the God who never changes, never quits, never fails, never forgets, and always is full of grace upon grace upon grace. Friends, May our hearts be filled with wonder and worship for the God of all grace. He never forgets.
and he will never fail. Amen. Let's pray. God, we take comfort in these words as it reflects to us the nature of grace, the nature of your character. God, our world feels wobbly. It feels like a mess. It feels overwhelming and broken. And maybe our hearts, our lives feel that way too. God, I pray that right now and whatever might be going on in our lives and in our hearts and in our living rooms or wherever we're watching this, that God, your grace would reach right now, even now, and do a profound rescuing, restoring work in us. God, help us to see that you are not absent, distant, or uncaring. That you hear and you see, you remember, and you know our lives, and you move into action to rescue and restore. May that give us great courage and confidence and strength in the days ahead. Help us, we pray. We cry out to you, the God of all grace. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, continue on in response. Close out your time together and with a benediction, encourage each other, and maybe reach out to others as well as a way of extending grace to others. Be safe, be well. We'll see you in the week ahead.